Hello, welcome to Bayham, the Michael Bay Talk from Society retrospective podcast. I am your co-host, Marcelo Pico, editor-in-chief of Talk from Society. And with me, as always, for this are my two co-hosts, Mike Schindler. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Great. And also Diego Crespo. Hello, Diego. Hello. Happy to be back. Yes, we are back. Uh, to the listener, maybe not uh, not a big you know time between episodes, but for us, it, it, it's been like two weeks, you know. So I mean, we, we, we've had stuff going on in our lives. We've been busy. Uh, end game happened, <laughs> and uh, I know Mike has been very busy with that. Uh, as a uh, you're 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 a, you're a theater manager, right, Mike? I'm a a film programmer. Film programmer. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, sounds more highfalutin than just a theater manager. You're a film programmer. I used to be a manager, but now I just make their lives difficult by giving them uh, <laughs> midnight shows and <laughs> six a.m. shows, or you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah so I know uh, Mike and I have talked in the past about you know being a projectionist, being a manager, you know uh, his 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 work inside the business. So I like uh, hearing his perspective on things. Um, we talked briefly before we recorded about you know how much of a hassle it was to you know to to, to show Endgame in a theater, especially you know opening weekend and opening week. Um, so that's what you've been doing, Mike, right? <laughs> Yep, yep. I've been knee deep in in Endgame, and uh, I've, I've narrowly survived the snap. So, oh, you made it! You oh, made that was it. the last one. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're not gonna drop any any spoilers for Endgame, you know. And and I think at this point it'll be like a few months after it came out. <laughs> so I'm not we're gonna hoping eat. anyway. You say that, but we can never be too yeah. sure. <laughs> and also, we joked before recording. We have we have still no idea when Michael Bay's new movie is coming out. Six Underground, okay, a Netflix release. Netflix is very cagey about you know revealing things. You know, like any normal studio would do. <laughs> you know, you know, for any normal studio, we know like a year or more beforehand when a movie is coming out. But it's a flip of a coin for Netflix. Uh, I mean, all I know is it's. It has to be this year, right? Right, guys? Like, Six Underground has to come out this year. It, watch yeah. it be, like, next year or something like that. Like, no, that would well, be insane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at, like, Wonder Woman 1984. You know, like, that's coming out and like, next year. They shot it, like, last year. Like, who knows? Oh, I don't know. And I was, I was talking to somebody earlier about... Uh, I'm under the assumption that Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat is coming out this year. But, again... Who knows with Netflix? Because that's another Netflix film. So, I mean, we're we're doing this. We're doing the the Michael Bay retrospective podcast in preparation for Six Underground, under the assumption that's going to be a summer 2019 release. But we still don't know at this point. And <laughs> I guess people listening at this point they already know. <laughs> but for us, as we're recording this, big question mark. But we soldier on. We do, as Michael Bay likes to do, soldier on. All right, so this episode, we're discussing Armageddon, the 1998 big summer blockbuster released on July 1st of that year. I want to start with this, guys. This is just an anecdote, okay? Uh, Please just let me get this out, because I have a friend who won't listen to this podcast, 
I know it. You know, she's not one for podcasts, and for sure not one po- not one for podcasts done by me. So, <clears throat> um, her and I had a conversation, and I just so happened to reveal that, oh yeah, by the way, I'm doing a Michael Bay podcast, and she was just like dumbfounded, like, why the fuck would you do a Michael Bay podcast? And we got into like a heated it was it was a friendly heated argument about Michael Bay, and for I mean I was defending him because that's. I mean, I'm doing a Michael Bay podcast. <laughs> of course, I'm on the defense for Michael Bay, okay? Sure, there's there, there's some stinkers in there, and we'll get to them eventually. But I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's there's some heart in there. There's you know, there's just something there. And then we got onto the topic of Armageddon. <laughs> and she told me Armageddon is the stupidest blockbuster of all time. <laughs> and I'm like... Come on. Uh, <laughs> and guys, uh, you know, after that conversation, I'm like, maybe she's right. <laughs> maybe it is the dumbest blockbuster of all time because l- watching it again, and I watched it this time uh, with the Criterion commentary um, that I recommend anybody who's a hu- huge fan of Michael Bay and of this movie of, of Armageddon to seek it out. Um, t- technically, it's out of print, but you can get it on Amazon for fairly cheap, right? Like, like yeah, 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 yeah. It's cheap, yeah. Yeah, pick it up. Um, but please, you know, go back, you know, pick that, you know, DVD up. Sure, it's not like anamorphic widescreen, but still, listen to that commentary. Um, Ben Affleck goes on a big rant about how <laughs> mm. <laughs> how this movie is so dumb. And he's just so open about like him not you know having faith in Michael Bay and this story. It is amazing to listen back to. And I'm like, yeah, maybe Ben Affleck and my friend have a point. This is a very dumb movie, but guys, I still love this movie. <laughs> I love it despite it being so dumb. Um, so that's the thing I wanted to get out there. I get it. Yeah, this is maybe one of the craziest, wackiest plots in any blockbuster ever made but still i adore it i adore it it's insane but i love it okay so that's i want to get that out there i just kind of related to that um a few years back uh, nasa released a, a list of the top seven most plausible and top seven least plausible science fiction films of all time and armageddon was number three on the least plausible <laughs> yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what was the number one, Mike? Least plausible? Yeah, least plausible. Uh, it was um, 2012. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, st- I still like that movie, too. Um, <clears throat> so, Armageddon. I mean, uh, I-, I was tweeting out some Armageddon stuff as I was watching this back again tonight. And uh, I, I I looked up the box office results of 1998, and that was a crazy year, guys. I mean, I forgot that Saving Private Ryan was number one, and Armageddon was number two in the box office domestically. So that's 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 what kind of year America had. <laughs> um, <laughs> and even like Doctor Doolittle was like number five or something. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, okay, let's go back to 1998. I mean, Mike, I'm pretty sure you saw this in theaters when it came out, right? Yeah, I saw all of them in theaters when they came out. Every single Michael Bay movie since yeah. The Rock. So, yes, I saw this, I believe it was on July 4th, 1998. I made the trek 
downtown to McClure Court, which was, I mean, that was the theater where we lined up to get tickets for The Phantom Menace. You know, that was the theater. And the one thing that I remember about it in this particular instance, and I don't know why I remember about this about it for Armageddon in particular, but the theater, I mean, it was this beautiful THX 700 seat, like uh, it was, it's the best theater ever. And it was in the basement of the theater, right? Mm-hmm. So you go downstairs and everything. Well, we had just had like a massive thunderstorm like the, a couple days prior. So I, I went and sat in my seat in the front row and it was still like like wet. And <laughs> the entire auditorium smelled like mildew. Um, <laughs> so that's what I remember most about watching Armageddon at McClure Court. But yeah, I, I saw it and I really, really liked it. And I think this was the point where I became a Michael Bay fan because like I loved The Rock, but I, it was still like at a point where I wasn't just going to blindly go into something because I liked something that the director had made previously but with this one i was like okay he's made two really really big movies which i really really liked and i think this is probably when i was like i need to go check out bad boys and all that stuff so uh, yeah as dumb as it is and everything like that and and certainly my opinion of it has declined since i initially saw it like this is the movie that sort of got me on board the michael bay train Oh yeah, for me, I I don't. I'm pretty sure I didn't not see this in theaters, but I remember distinctly watching the trailers in theaters, and it was a huge deal because ni- uh, 1998 summer blockbusters. I mean, you had like Godzilla, you had Deep Impact. I saw Deep Impact in theaters for some reason, and I did not see Armageddon, which is weird. But yeah, it was. I mean, all these movies were huge, and they were in the public consciousness. And I caught this on DVD uh, like a year or two later. And I'm like, yeah, this is insane, but I, I love it. Young me loves this shit. And I, at, this, at that point, didn't know too much about Michael Bay. Eventually, I bought the Criterion uh, DVD of Armageddon. And I, you know, years later after that, eventually sold it, which is stupid of me. But uh, I I bought the, that DVD and I uh, listened to the, to, the, to the commentary. And I'm like, who is this insane man? <laughs> Michael Bay. And then it wasn't until years later where I got, you know, really into him. And I fully appreciated his madness. But no, like I, th- 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 I think this was the the one movie that I got into first of Michael Bay where I was like, yeah, who is this? And I wanted to know more about him and yeah, I'm, I'm on board. So yeah, that was me and Armageddon. Like I, I didn't see it in theaters, but I did catch it later on and uh, kind of just loved it from then. Uh, Diego, what about you? What about your first uh, encounter with Armageddon? I believe I had a double feature with this and Deep Impact with my cousins. Ah. I'm, I'm pretty sure... There was like a VHS – we rented from some VHS place and then we were like staying at my grandpa's for like a Thanksgiving at one point or something like that. And I'm pretty sure I saw them back to back. I don't I don't even remember which one. I, I was re- still relatively young but uh, I I liked both a lot. Uh, I, I'm, I'm that guy. I have not revisited <laughs> Deep Impact in a long time so I do not know how well it holds up. I have revisited Armageddon for this podcast, and let me tell you, 
Mixed feelings, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But what a ride. If it was like an hour and a half instead of three years long, I think (laughs) it would be awesome. Yeah, just a side note. Yeah, I I, I started rewatching this like a, a week or two ago, um, and I'm like, yeah, I, I'll, I'll I'll watch the rest whenever you know, right before we record this. And then I looked at the runtime and I go, wait, two and a half hours? God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> it's I forget how long it is. Anyway, uh, well, yeah, we'll 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 talk about that more later. But uh, yeah, go back to your story, Diego. Uh, well, I mean, no, that that's it. I just, I really liked, we can talk about the runtime right now if you want, because <laughs> I, I have like a whole thing on like how some, you know, like there's that whole auteur theory thing where like people say like the director is the most important person on set. And I kind of don't agree with that. It's, it's a communicative effort. Uh, the director may handle like a, a staple or an aesthetic or something like that. And they are the leader, but you know, it's film is more complicated than that to me. Um, and Michael Bay clearly likes excess, so I get it. You know, I think I saw a defense of like some who's the, the Bone Tomahawk guy, where they're like, "Oh, you know, I'm not crazy about his films, but he likes them long, and like that's that's his thing, and he's entitled to that." And it's like, yeah, but sometimes you're, you're entitled to whatever you want, but sometimes it's less is more. You know, <laughs> like this yeah. movie's so long, and it could be so awesome, and and because it is dumb, it's dumb as a, as a as a bag of bricks, but that's okay. You know, I love dumb. I I myself am probably dumb, but like <laughs> I love me too. You know, so <laughs> that's I, that's I, my whole shtick. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> for me about the runtime, and I, I'll say this. I I only saw it as in, as an inconvenience to myself and my time spent today and scheduling. <laughs> I I could have easily cut out two and a half hours, and I watched if you watched the whole thing before we recorded. But dumb me thought that movie is not longer than like two hours. I'll be fine. I looked down at my watch. I look at I look at the Wikipedia page and I go two and a half hours. I'm already behind. <laughs> so that's it. And then but you know you know rewatching it. Like um, I'm like this movie, you know, kind of rolls along. I don't really mind the runtime; it's fine with me. I, you know, this is a case where a long Michael Bay movie, you know, works because he knows exactly what is interesting and knows, you know, what to cut to and makes the makes all like feel entertaining and i'm never bored i was never bored rewatching this so i'll say that about the runtime that's that's how i feel about watching it this time around um uh, mike uh, what about you how do you feel about this two and a half hour ride that michael bay has created yeah i think it's too long and <laughs> god damn it <laughs> damn it and, and, and i was bored at times i mean the thing that you know my friend max always says about this movie which i wholeheartedly agree with is that it's basically a masterpiece until they go to space and then it becomes a train wreck you know and it's like it's 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 funny it's cool you're invested in these characters and everything the stakes are high and you don't know if they'll succeed and there's montages training montages and all this stuff and then they get up into space and it's just becomes like this 
incomprehensible mess for for the most part. (laughs) There's no real tension, even though there's supposed to be nothing but tension. And maybe that's the problem is that you're supposed to be on the edge of your seat the whole time that you have no time to acknowledge that fact. I don't know. It's just, it's too much. Too, too much. I can't believe I'm on the, I'm on the, on the on the pretty much all positive side here okay guys all right <laughs> i'm gonna have to disagree and say i didn't really get into it again until they went into space and it becomes that quote-unquote mess because yeah sure like we get to meet all these guys and it's a nice rowdy bunch you know the cast is amazing i mean bruce willis ben affleck michael clark duncan uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, Liv Tyler, all of these people—it's amazing, right? It's 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 like the it's like the it's like a modern or 1998 version of the Dirty Dozen. You know, I have all these guys coming together. Um, that really didn't throw me until you tossed them into space, and then all this crazy shit happens. Like the only part where it, where it was a lull for me, and it's always been a lull. As much as I love the guy. The Peter Stormare bit when they go to that space station. I'm like, do we need this? I don't think we need this. We, we're here for too long. You, know, you can excise this and maybe cut to the chase faster. Other than that, I'm all I'm all on board for this crazy shit, uh, especially towards the end. Put a gun in space. Okay, have Steve Buscemi ride the the, the, the bomb. I'm fine with that too. I'm. <laughs> I don't know. I like this movie a lot. I do, and I I'm okay with the excess. Again, it's another case where Michael Bay just goes for it, and I'm all I'm all in. There are other cases where he does that, and, he, and I'm not all in. But this is the one case where I'm like, yes, I'm here for it. So that's my defense. I of- think this might be the first sign of like the chain starting to come loose. The rock kind of has it, but it's still like contained in a box, you know, Pandora's box has not yet been opened. And this <laughs> is like the box is it's, it's shaking and no one knows what's happening yet. Something's happening inside and people could see the box, like, you know, whatever. But, um, th- this is, this is the beginning of the next phase of Michael Bay's career. And we didn't, I mean, obviously, I didn't. I was so young, but like, I think humanity did not understand that at this point in time. Uh, I I will say really quick, I do actually like the gun in space bit. I love Steve Buscemi too, so um, that just always kills me. Like it, I I don't know. I'm I'm a man of simple pleasures and tastes, so that it makes me laugh. See, I, I uh, quickly before because I know you want to say something, Mike. I want to say the gun in space thing, okay? And we're jumping around, which I'm okay with. That is one of my favorite lines, maybe ever. <laughs> um, where I, I forget the I forget the character actor's name. Where he goes, "Why do you have a gun in space?" <laughs> and if if that line wasn't there, I don't think that scene would play as well as it does. Sincerely, like somebody has to point out the absolute insanity of why an astronaut would bring a gun to space and point it at <laughs> Bruce Willis at that point in time. See so, that that I don't have a problem with. I mean, the 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 thing that I have a problem with, which they don't ask ever, is like, why do you have a machine gun in space? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because Michael Michael Bay addresses that in the Criterion commentary, which I listened to. <laughs> so he, he he goes, okay, there's two there's twofold there's two reasons why there that's there. Uh, one is the scientific reason. He goes, 
Well, that is called a um, a debris blaster, mm-hmm. <laughs> where a vehicle, you know, some real life vehicles have like these 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 particle blasters where they shoot things and they you know they they they, they create like a safe passageway for vehicles. Okay, that's which I one. guess is what they do with it. So yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's one. But then he goes also. <laughs> um, he wanted <laughs> uh, uh, the, the the toy company that was making these vehicles as toys wanted guns on the toys, so he's mm. like, "Okay, I'll make I'll make a gun on this toy, so it'll sell more." <laughs> That's what Which, he says on the commentary. You know, he's always very open about that. Like, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's on the commentary where he talks about Ben Affleck driving the BMW, and he's like. Yeah, this character wouldn't be driving a BMW, <laughs> but BMW gave us a lot of money. So exactly, and, yeah. and then like on Pearl Harbor, I remember they talk about like people criticized him because they were drinking Pepsi in one scene, and people almost exclusively drank Coke back in 1941. And he's like, "Yeah, I know people almost exclusively drank Coke back in 1941, but we stuck a Pepsi bottle in this shot." And then Pepsi paid for our rap party. So you know what? <laughs> Which yeah, is, there you know, go. Yeah, so nothing I, but respect for that. Mad <laughs> respect for that. I get it. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, uh, the, the, the complete frankness of Michael Bay uh, on that commentary. It's another reason why I would highly recommend anybody listen to that commentary. Please do on the Criterion disc. Um, and even Ben Affleck has a go at Michael Bay. And I'm surprised that Ben Affleck agreed to do Pearl Harbor after this with Michael Bay because, man, does Ben Affleck shit all over Michael Bay. <laughs> I, I remember when the, the the casting was announced or whatever and, you know, they were trying to play up that this thing is, like, going to be a masterpiece or whatever. And they had Ben Affleck, like, on some sort of talk show or something. And he's like, if you would have told me that I was going to be making another movie with michael bay i would have said you were fucking insane (laughs) but here we are you know and you know i think everyone at the time took that as like oh this is gonna be his titanic but i think now everyone's like they must have paid him a shit ton of money you know (laughs) and and you know speaking of you know things going off the rails like i i I mean diego honestly i i could see it starting to go off the rails here as much as i like it okay i admit yeah, there are moments where like, okay, yeah, sure. But sure, we're getting there. And it's not – and for me, and we'll talk about it. I don't know how you guys feel. I can only guess. But in the next episode, <laughs> we'll talk about Pearl Harbor and we'll talk about rails going off and things going wrong. But for now, oh, I'm boy. still enjoying it. I'm still enjoying well, it. Well, it, here's, here's the thing, which I mean I just kind of thought of this now, but it, it, I don't know. So like thinking about like Transformers and stuff just in general, like my big problem with that movie is that everything was so alien that even if it all made sense logically, you couldn't tell what the hell was going on. It didn't read on film the way that it, it maybe should have. And I see that happening here too, mainly because of like the landscape of the asteroid and just so much getting packed into the frame, so much alien stuff that you can't focus on what it is you need to focus on to understand the story. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe the problem that Michael Bay has is not in his editing or his photography or anything like that, but in his production design of 
alien things. Maybe he doesn't realize what reads and what doesn't to a normal person when they're looking at something which they've never seen before in their lives. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Maybe it's just me. I don't know. No, no, I, I totally get I think you, you hit the nail on the head, actually. Um, because, like, if you look at any, like, standalone images of, like, uh, of any of his films, each each of his films have at least, like, one or even, like, dozens of striking, like, standalone images, you know? They, but then you put them in a sequence with, like, the rest of the film, the lesser films certainly start getting jumbled, you know? And... Uh, it's it's kind of very much that Phantom Menace thing, you know, when they're talking about like it's so it's so intense. Every frame is just filled with so much. There's so much going on, and then you know they finish the Phantom Menace screening, and it's like George Lucas may have gone a little overboard, uh, so to speak. Regardless of your opinions on those movies, you know, like I think that is almost undeniably true about some of that stuff, and I think the same is true about Michael Bay. It's just like less is more like not just the runtime for this i guess too but like if you really condense the story because i also love peter stormare so marcelo i completely agree with your point too like that doesn't need to be here so why 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 is there all this stuff in here it's a pretty streamlined story it's uh i love movies about getting teams together for like one last job or like an impossible mission save the world or save a group of people magnificent seven yada yada dirty dozen uh so i'm in the bag for this movie and the fact that it's not like my favorite michael bay movie i I think is kind of uh it's on him more than me this time i mean like last episode i think the last two episodes actually i was lamenting about yeah i love michael bay in the practical world and i think he got lost in the digital world but honestly, like rewatching this, I'm like, it's not, we're not yet into the, where he gets too lost in the CGI world yet. Like, I, I, I mean, to, to, to your point, Mike, I see where you're coming from, but I'm still, I, I'm still actively like understanding what's going on in the frame. I think what he's showing in the frame works and feels Michael Bay. And I'm still with it, you know. I'm not yet to the point where I'm like, it's a, it's a mess. And I can tell you exactly when it's a mess later on in his career, where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. It's like gray on gray. It's like that scene in Venom when 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 Venom and that bad guy fight. It's like nothing but like garbage. So to me, it's not there yet. Like it, it you know, maybe it's tipping towards that. But I'm still on the side of like, he manages to pull off his visual style in the CGI well enough where I'm like, okay, it works. So that's honestly how I feel. <laughs> so uh, if I may really quick, while we're on the, the subject of Venom, Michael Bay should direct the sequel. And that's all I have to say. On that. <laughs> was it, was it off mic? I think it was off mic where you mentioned that uh, you for split second thought that Michael Bay should direct the, Sp- the uh, Spider-Man movie, right? <laughs> oh yeah. And then I was like, wait, no, 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 no. But Venom, no, but Venom, Venom okay. Is right in his wheelhouse. <laughs> I think I think that would work. I think that would work. Okay. I I I want to I want I just want it because, you know, maybe there's something listening to this episode that has no idea what Armageddon's about. Okay. I just want to quickly read the synopsis from IMDb uh because I just think it's I just think it's worth noting. After discovering that an asteroid the size of Texas is going to impact Earth in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers to save the planet. Okay, that's the plot of the movie. I just want to talk about the plot, the actual plot of it. 
I am on the side. I've mentioned this in the beginning of the conversation. I'm on the side of. I don't care. It's that, that that's ridiculous. Sure, um, as Ben Affleck says in the commentary, uh, why not train NASA astronauts to drill rather than train you know deep core drillers <laughs> to be astronauts? <laughs> he says that on the commentary. <laughs> I I I'm okay with this plot because. You know, fuck it. Like, uh, and and to paraphrase Michael Bay, you know, this is this is this is sexy NASA. The, you know, this is not boring NASA. This is like sexy NASA. This is like blockbuster NASA. You know, yeah, because the, yeah. cause NASA, you know, has has a problem with uh, being sexy. You know, I mean, I the know. whole sending people to space thing is yeah, not at all you, glamorous or anything. You know what's sexy in the real world? Fighting climate change, <laughs> sending people to space—that's sexy to me. Sorry, Michael Bay. I think NASA is sexy. Intelligence is sexy. No, it was funny. Michael Bay mentioned in the commentary he walked into an actual NASA like room, like a, a control station. He's like, "No, we're not gonna shoot this. Wow, <laughs> this, this, this is boring. This is this this is not this is not Hollywood." Yeah, to, to paraphrase Michael Bay, so they they just you know did you know they they rebuilt it, made it sexier and cooler. So you know, regarding the whole like astronauts versus drillers thing, I did find yeah. this on the IMDb trivia section, and I, I just love it because of the commentary of the person posting this on the IMDb. Regarding the film's premise, Ben Affleck asked director Michael Bay, wouldn't it be easier for NASA to train astronauts how to drill rather than training drillers to be astronauts? Bay told Affleck to shut up. (laughs) Besides, the reasoning behind sending drillers rather than training astronauts is explained in the movie. Oh, yeah. See? He's See? right for telling him to shut up because clearly it makes more sense the way it is. And it, the movie the movie tell us it makes sense. So there you go. Besides. <laughs> anyway. I, I oh I, I you know okay. For me I I don't care. Is uh, this is a case where I'm like I don't give a shit. You know, this is not the real world. This is Michael Bay's world we're talking about. Okay, uh, I, I'm in it for the fun ride, and I love these characters. Oh, uh, uh, let's talk about these characters. Bruce Willis, good old Bruce Willis, good old. I could give two shits half the time, Bruce Willis. <laughs> uh, I love that he's giving a shit here. I think he's actually giving a shit, uh, and I dig it. This is, you know, to an extent. You know, uh, Die Hard in Space. Well, that's not the fifth element. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, it's good. I, I love Bruce Willis in this. Any thoughts on Bruce Willis? Mike, what are your thoughts on Bruce Willis in this? He's fine in this. It's before he completely checked out of his career. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's in the precipice of him, of him like just saying, I don't give a shit in, 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 in the 2000s. Well, I guess he had uh, Unbreakable. And yeah. then after that, he's like, I don't care. Uh, uh, Diego, any thoughts on Bruce Willis in this? Uh, he's to, to his credit every once in a while he shows up to play for a movie like in Looper he's like really good for some reason um, <laughs> apparently maybe he's still a little difficult to work with don't take my word for that though um, but uh, he, he's he's good in this but then half the time uh, I, I just wanted to switch back to Unbreakable I've been on a Shyamalan resurgence kick so that might be why but uh I really love Unbreakable, and this is like the same time period, basically. <laughs> so I was like, "Man, that's a that movie doesn't have any pacing problems." 
So <laughs> I'd like I'd like to go spend time with that one. And then you know more explosions happen. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of into it though. I think that movie is a slick like an hour forty five or something, right? Unbreakable. It's like uh, it, it's yeah. pretty well. Maybe less yeah. than yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A- every frame of that movie matters. Like not not to derail the conversation to that territory, but I think it's important because like look at how every frame of Unbreakable is conveying like an emotion or an idea or something about characters across to the audience. And then, you know, cut to Peter Stormare, whom I love dearly. <laughs> and it's just like, why is this here? Like, <laughs> this is this is pointless. <laughs> and also, are you telling me, Diego, that Steve Buscemi writing the nuclear bomb, uh, like Slim Pickens and, and Dr. Strangelove, you tell me that's not important to the plot? Are you telling me that? Uh, you know what? It's probably not, but I love that. So <laughs> point, point Armageddon. There you go. Point Armageddon. Okay. Um, the cast of this, Billy Bob Thornton, we haven't talked about. It's like the old timer, you know, NASA control guy. I, I, I mean, it's, it's similar to like Ed Harris in The Rock to me. You know, a, a kind of a, uh, a grade A character actor coming to play and doing like a very serious, you know, impactful role in a very not too serious movie. I think it absolutely works. So. Uh, any thoughts on Billy Bob in this, uh, Diego? Uh, I love him and Bruce Willis together. They don't they don't yeah. get that much screen time together, especially in the obviously the second half. Um, but there's a moment when they're first recruiting everyone that even when I was younger, I was like, this was like I, like watching him and and Billy Bob, Bruce Willis and Billy Bob. I mean, uh, go toe to toe. Felt like epic. Like these these were just like really good actors in their prime almost i'd say uh billy bob thornton still cares that's the thing though uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's just a moment where bruce willis says like none like if they save the planet none of them ever want to pay taxes again and then i just remember the camera lingering on billy bob thornton's face and as a kid i was like well that doesn't like why is that such a big deal whatever then i got older and i was like oh i see taxes yada yada and now that i got even older than that i'm like yeah why is that a big deal the planet's gonna die why is taxes important it's like 12 dudes you know most of them are gonna probably die like why is that a big i'm sorry i I'm, i have very ups- strong opinions about government but uh no billy bob thornton's great <laughs> Uh, Mike, any thoughts on Billy Bob? And I should say, uh, at this point in 1998, um, I don't remember when uh, Sling Blade came out. Was it like it 90s? Before this. It was like 96. Yeah, 96. Yeah. So this is like when he's, you know, a big, a huge deal right after Sling Blade. So mm-hmm. seeing him in this, I'm sure was like, hey, he's the next big thing. And he's in this uh, the big smart blockbuster. Uh, well, did you say I, big smart blockbuster? A big no, sorry, a big summer blockbuster. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. I was trying like, to enunciate. Whoa. I mean, if you're asking the you know the right person, I'd say smart blockbuster. But no, it's just a big summer blockbuster. <laughs> no, anyway. I, I was going to give you props. Like, yeah, just put it all on the line. I respect it. <laughs> I've already put enough on the line of this episode. Uh, <laughs> Mike, any uh, yeah, any thoughts on on Billy Bob? Yeah, you know, I always found it strange to see people like Billy Bob Thornton in movies like this, or or like when you have like John Malkovich and Francis McDormand in Transformers oh, right. Three, and you're like, how, why, why are they doing this? But then, you know, you start thinking about like everyone else working on the movie, you know, whether it's John Schwartzman or you know the editors or or anything, and they're all the best in the biz, 
right? And they're all doing this massive blockbuster because if you're Disney and you're putting all of your money and efforts into this because it's going to be like a thing which makes you you know, a billion dollars, then you will get the best in the industry across the board, even when it comes to actors. So you'll pay Francis McDormand or John Malkovich or Billy Bob Thornton a ton of money, not because they're stars, but because they're the best actors in the world. Even if they are reading a script, which is really not that Super great, which, by the way, we haven't even talked about this because everyone always forgets it, but this script was written by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <clears throat> and also, uh, good old Tony Gerwar has a co-writing credit yeah, on it, too. Yeah, a really weird one. Adaptation by? <laughs> I don't even know what does that, that means. mean. There's like story, adaptation, and screenplay, and yeah. Tony Gilroy is there, and there's a bunch of people who were uncredited who worked on it too. Uh, so, uh, real, another uh, tidbit on on the uh, commentary on the Criterion disc. Uh, Michael Bay starts off. It's like five minutes into in, into the commentary. He's like, "Yeah, I was talking to you know this young screenwriter kid who was writing on the movie, uh, who I gave all these notes on, and basically called him an idiot." <laughs> And it was J.J. Abrams who, who who he was talking about. So, <laughs> yeah. So, it, if you want to hear Michael Bay drag J.J. Abrams, listen to the mm, Criterion commentary of Armageddon. There's that other story, which I don't exactly know how this lines up or whatever, but the J.J. The Abrams Armageddon story, his, his Armageddon story, which is he went to see a movie with some friends and he's sitting in the theater and the teaser trailer for Armageddon comes up and he turns to his friend and he's like... I guess I should start writing that, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you know, it seems like it was a bit of a mess, but, you know, whatever. So, all's well that ends well or whatever. A bit of a mess, but hey, number two movie of the year. Yeah, Uh, And kind of shocking that it wasn't number one when you think about it. I mean, yeah, the number one was Saving Private Ryan. I would have guessed Um, that it was number one. Yeah, uh, the budget was 140 million. The domestic take was 201 million. Worldwide, it made a half billion. It made 553 million dollars. So yeah, um, uh, I didn't. Of, of course, I didn't look up what the critics said. Uh, I'm sure they didn't like it. Uh, well, Roger Ebert, very famously, after giving you know The Rock three and a half stars and having like his review pu- published in the liner notes of the DVD and everything like that, <laughs> he called this like one of the worst movies ever made. Gave it like half a star. <laughs> so, well, well, Roger Ebert can't be right all the time. No, you know? he can't. No, he can't. No, I mean, like looking back at his history, though, it's kind of amazing that. He basically likes like ninety percent of the stuff he saw. So when he disliked a movie, it's like, man, it must have really gotten under his skin. Yeah, I I, I disagree with him. Uh, rest in peace. He's probably the reason I got into film criticism. No, but yeah, like, me too. Yeah, but uh, I, I think that's just telling like how little he enjoyed sitting in that theater. <laughs> yeah, thirty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which you know, I mean, obviously that's skewed by history and all that stuff, but yeah. Uh, I will always remember, uh, again, rest in peace, Roger Ebert, um, the low grade he gave for Die Hard. 
And um, again, we can't all be right. Uh, He was wrong about his take on Die Hard and him saying every character was, you know, incredibly stupid and how the the chief of police was very stupid and made no no sense in the movie. I mean, Roger Ebert. (laughs) <laughs> he, lo- he loved uh, Die Hard too, though. I think he gave that three and a half stars, right? Called That's it like one of the best crazy. movies of the year. <laughs> That's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, no, I I just looked it up. So he gave Die Hard two out of four stars, and he gave Die Hard two three point five out of four stars. And oh my god, it keeps going. He well, he gave uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance three out of four. Okay, but he gave Live Free or Die Hard three out of four as well. I honestly honestly think this is one of those cases where he didn't like the first one, and then by the time he got around to the second one, he was like, okay, yeah, no, this is good. And I think that if he were to go back and watch the first one again, he'd be like, okay, four stars. You know exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. I and mean, we we can't all come around to greatness right away. No. You know, uh, as as is exemplified in this episode, uh, <laughs> guys. I, I mean, be on my side. I love this movie. It's batshit insane, but I I dig it. Um, Armageddon. Uh, is there anything else we can say about Armageddon? And any final thoughts? Any closing thoughts? Anything we may have missed, uh, Diego? Uh, well, I don't want to close my eyes. I <laughs> oh, that's don't right. want to fall asleep because <laughs> I'd miss you, babe. And I don't want to miss a thing. Uh, that inherently makes this movie like five stars, regardless of all the criticisms we've tossed its way. That might be the American anthem of the 90s. Oh, and yeah, that was uh, that, that still got me. Not in an emotional way, just like a, you know what? Yeah, America. <laughs> <I'm here. laughs> yeah that's that's it that's me on my on a porch if i had a porch and uh cracking open a cold beer with the american flag hanging over me yeah uh i i'll say this um bruce willis closes out the commentary on the criterion disc by saying god bless america that's what it <laughs> see says. it's all connected <laughs> but uh, uh aerosmith don't want to miss a thing that was a Big deal for me in the 90s. Right? Huge deal. I can't express how big of a deal that was. Um, but yeah, that song still gets me. Um, so I will forever think of that song in, in a huge positive way. And maybe that influences my take on Armageddon. So uh, whatever. I'll take it. Um, Mike, what about you? Any closing thoughts on Armageddon? Uh, I guess the only thing that I, I would add is that Liv Tyler is great in this movie. Um, that, That's yeah, right. She's she's the best part of this movie. So there you go. She oh, yeah. She, she's criminally underappreciated actress. And I'm glad that she got a big role in all three Lord of the Rings movies. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, and I, Jersey Girl. Yes. Uh, I and uh, I like I like her in the strangers. Okay, <laughs> hey guys, let's do a Liv Tyler podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm actually I down. I haven't seen Empire Records, so oh, I don't, I don't think I have either. I should see that. No, neither have I. Wow. Oh, there you go. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. We're the three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, Liv Tyler. Uh, I love her. I think this is where my huge questioner began. Obviously, with a lot of people, I'm guessing. Uh, huge, huge movie for me. 
uh, as a kid for many reasons, and that's why I still love it, love it so much. Um, and yeah, that's me and I'm again. Um, but hey, looking forward to the next movie because I haven't seen Pearl Harbor in maybe over ten years. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I guess just a just just a quick preview. Uh, I did buy that DVD. Uh, I think the special edition that came out. That the director's cut. That, yeah, the the director's, oh. Uh, we failed to mention the director's cut of Armageddon. Oh yeah, which yeah, which which I saw uh, on the Criterion disc, and as Mike pointed out um, on our DM channel, it's it's not available anywhere else, right? It's just on that Criterion disc, right? Yeah, and there was some fire or something which d- destroyed the footage, so you'll never see Jesus. it anywhere again. So, which is insane. Wow. Um, some I know some um, Mike shared. A uh, a list of changes uh, on on the director's cut, but uh, watching it this time around, the director's cut, I noticed, yeah, the significant ones were, you know, the moments with Bruce Willis and Bailey Bob Thornton, um, some uh, new scenes with them, and also a scene with uh, Bruce Willis and his dad sharing a moment right before he goes into space and dies. Um, but yeah, so you know, some some changes in the director's cut, which is a shame that won't. I guess ever be seen in full HD ever, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah, which sucks. So, again, another reason to buy that Criterion disc if you're a fan of this movie. Uh, but you know, Pearl Harbor, I yeah, I, I watched that many times as a as a youth because I was dumb, and um, and then as I grew older, I realized this is not a good movie, and uh, I can't wait to revisit it again. <laughs> I can't wait to see it, um, and 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 come in with like a fresh take on that movie so that's the next episode that's Pearl Harbor um and that was Armageddon guys as always this is fun uh I can't wait to get back to this again but before we go plugs as we like to do uh uh where can we find you online Mike why don't you go first uh, well, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on my website, FilmDamagePod.com, doing a show called Film Damage, and you can also find me on the TheNerdParty.com, doing a show called Retro Perspective, and on Trek.fm, doing a show which we don't know what it's called yet, but we're going to do audio commentaries for Jean-Luc Picard episodes, so uh, check that Ooh. out, too. Nice. Uh, Diego, what about you? Uh, at the Diego Crespo on Twitter, uh, everything I write and contribute to will be available on there, and my own podcast, The Waffle Press, which I, I'm gonna I'm gonna g- make a gamble right now. I'm gonna bet I'm gonna finish up my Batman retrospective podcast <laughs> series before the trailer for Six Underground drops, Ooh. and then I will have started the next one. That, that's uh, my bet. Uh, as of this recording, aren't you on Batman Begins? I released Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight is available for patrons. This will be incredibly outdated. That's my yeah, game. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, like, uh, for just for listeners, like, uh, this, that's this where we are currently. At. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the future, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Again, we don't know when Six Underground's coming out, but uh, but yeah, in the future, uh, go back and check out the Batman retrospective Diego is doing. It's all out there, I'm guessing. As for me, Talk Film Society, read it, listen to it, love it. The Patreon, Talk Film Society Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash talkfilmsociety. 
We have bonus episodes. We have commentaries. Uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop commentary. We have an Inherent Vice commentary. As of this recording, um, I've already done North by Northwest. I've done John Wick Chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to do an Alien commentary. That'll all be up there, so check it out. And yeah, uh, that's it for me. Um, guys, another fun episode. I think all that that needs to be said now is uh, our closing catchphrase, <laughs> which I get right every single time, and I'm going to get right this time. Uh, here we go, guys. Are you ready? I'm ready. Three, three, <laughs> three two, one. You forgot, you your, forgot boarding your boarding pass. pass. There you go. <laughs>